For those of you who have experienced the joys and challenges of parenting, I invite you to cast your mind back to the very beginning when your child was born. And for those of you who think this doesn't apply to you, you can remember back as far as you can to when maybe you were very tiny and you can picture your own parents in this scenario. When we first had our daughter, Amelia, a lot of things changed. You might say that our whole lives shifted. Our whole life focus shifted from us to Amelia. Our house had to be equipped with appropriate furniture for her to sleep in, be safe in, supported. We needed clothes to fit her, nappies, all the things required to feed her, bottles, sterilisers, etc. All the things When we left the house, we needed supplies everywhere we went. We needed a car seat and a pram. We needed to time our outings according to her feeding and sleeping routine. And most memorably, we had to adjust our own sleeping needs for hers. Anyone remember that? Yep. (laughs) Having a baby is quite the commitment, isn't it? Suddenly, whatever we wanted to do was no longer priority because the baby came first. I remember walking into public places and having everyone gush over the baby, asking about her, wanting to hold her. She was pretty cute, I admit. But we realised that barely anyone was actually interested in me anymore. How did this happen? It was all about her. (laughs) It was easy to feel like by having this baby I had now become irrelevant. Can anyone relate? But then I reflected on how much baby Amelia needed me. Without me, her very existence would be in danger. In order to survive, she needed me to step up. Even if I suddenly felt irrelevant because the focus had shifted towards her and everything revolved around her development, I had in fact become more integral than perhaps ever before. I now look at how my two children are growing rapidly before my very eyes these days. I also reflect on my parents too, who are now retired, reaching their later years in life. There is a rhythm to generations, isn't there? There is a rhythm that we can hold dear to us, remembering our families who step before us, watching in eagerness as our younger generations grow and develop. Sometimes there's complexities, hurts and trauma that affect these rhythms too. But there's another generational rhythm that we're going to focus on today. And to do that, we're going to look at a story in scripture from 2 Kings. Particularly, we're going to read a story about Elijah and his disciple or apprentice, if you want to think of it that way, Elisha. And I'm just preempting that you're going to probably get confused. And I hope I don't say the wrong name at which time because there's Elijah and there's Elisha. And they sound basically the same. I feel like he should have had a different name to make this easier for my brain, but we'll get there. (laughs) What do we know about Elijah? I'll give you a quick summary. Elijah was a prophet of Israel. Like most prophets that we read about in the Old Testament, Elijah's job tended to involve condemning sinful leaders and foretelling the punishments that God would bring if people didn't repent. Perhaps a brutal summary, but putting it bluntly, that's kind of what it looked like. His first appearance is telling King Ahab of Israel that because he has turned Israel to false gods, a drought will cover the land. The drought lasts seven years and ended with a big showdown between Elijah and 850 pagan priests. 
Elijah went through periods of questioning and discouragement after things didn't seem to go quite as he expected. He experienced death threats, he struggled with depression and even prayed to die in times of despair, but still he carried on with the work. Elijah took on a disciple, Elisha, and continued to speak out against Ahab and later against Ahab's successor, Ahaziah. Sometime after Ahaziah's death, Elijah passed on his title to Elisha in a particularly unique way, which we're going to read about now. So we're looking at 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and it's called Elijah Taken Up to Heaven. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elijah said, as surely, sorry, Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know what the Lord is going, that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at the, at the distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Whew, that's a story. So here we have Elijah, prophet and mentor at the end of his ministry and life on earth. One of only two people recorded in scripture that never experienced death. The other was Enoch, fun fact. Elijah walked with God and had an intimate relationship with him. He knew the voice of God. He had learned full well the practice of leaning in to hear what God had to say and had ex exercised his giftings as a prophet to the people. He lived and ministered in a time of great rebellion and was a powerful voice in his generation. One might wonder why God chose to take Elijah in such a spectacular way, with all the flaming chariots and horses whisked away to heaven, but it could be interpreted as God sending a rather clear message to the communities around Elijah, who often labelled him as an evil troublemaker. 
Perhaps God was confirming Elijah's prophetic words as valid and affirmed and therefore claiming his righteousness. Hopefully, the result of this display might be that the people might repent and turn back to God. Not only did Elijah have this intimate relationship with God and understand his calling, executing it for the majority of his earthly life, but he also knew his own earthly limitations, who was calling the shots and the importance of mentoring the next generation. There are some key insights in these verses that highlight this and I want to spend a bit of time going through them today. So the first point is that Elijah knew his human state. We step into this part of Elijah's story right at the end. Elijah, along with his apprentice Elisha and a group of their prophetic fellowship are travelling and if we look into the first few verses, we can see that firstly Elijah might have some clue of what was happening and that he was deeply invested in his apprentice, Elisha. Much like a protective father, perhaps, Elijah attempts to break away from Elisha, urging him to stay put as he is sent to, uh, by God to Bethel. Perhaps in an attempt to spare Elisha from the impending loss, Elijah assumes it might be better this way. It's also likely that he's a humble guy, I would say, so knowing what is coming, he wasn't about to make a big fanfare of his departure. But Elisha refuses to part with him, perhaps another clue for us as to the intimacy of their relationship as mentor and apprentice. We see the careful and close bond of the company of prophets under Elijah's lead when they now question Elisha if he knows what is coming. Elisha confirms that he knows and then commands them to be quiet. It's interesting. Then once again, Elijah suggests that Elisha stay behind while he is sent by God to Jericho. And once again, Elisha refuses. Like a well-repeated story, the company of prophets now in Jericho check in with Elisha. Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? And Elisha says, yes, I know, so be quiet. Elijah attempts to deflect Elisha one more time as he is about to head to Jordan and Elisha refuses. So the two of them walk on. Then we get a a, a bit further insight into what this fellowship of prophets looks like in the size. Fifty men went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Then what follows is the final example of his teacher modelling to his apprentice the power at work in him as he rolls up his cloak, strikes the water with it and the water divides for them to cross over on dry land. What a sight that must have been to see for that fellowship. Elijah, sensing the time is near, takes his last opportunity to serve his apprentice and asks Elisha what he can do for him before he is taken. Elijah was well aware that his time on earth was ending. Every one of his efforts were leading to an end and he was at peace with his journey, the good and the difficult, and his focus remained on his apprentice. So Elijah knew who was really in control of his ministry. Because Elijah was in such intimate relationship with God, he knew that his ministry was not specifically his own to claim. Elijah knew that he was being guided and directed by God and that the ministry of God would continue on well past his earthly time. How do we know this? Because he had formed a company of prophets 
at least 51 other prophets or apprentice prophets were with Elijah in this story. This means that Elijah wasn't fulfilling his own resume without a thought of what happens when he passes. Elijah was equipping the next generation. We know this because the scripture gives us the hints for that too in these verses. It tells us the number of the prophets in his company, 50, and we see it in their communications. Elijah cares deeply for Elisha and attempts to protect him from impending loss. The company of prophets check in with Elisha to see if he is aware of what is happening soon. Elisha puts his own fear aside in the moment by suggesting that the prophets stay silent as he continues to obediently follow Elijah to the end. Elijah asks Elisha in their final words if he can give him anything he needs before he goes. Elisha asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit, a nod to his admiration of an incredible mentor and leader. Elisha cares so much for Elijah that when he leaves him, we see his intense grief as he tears his clothes in two. So many clues, aren't there, in that scripture? Elijah knew that this was not about him and that the next generation were about to take over the reins. This didn't threaten Elijah that he would become insignificant. Instead, it inspired and empowered him to pour everything he had into the people who would take his place. Why on earth would he have committed his entire life to a mission that was literally going to end when he ended? Elijah also knew Elijah also knew his own limitations. Elisha's request for a double portion of his spirit was something that Elijah could not grant him. Elijah knew that any good works that poured out of him were because God had made that happen. Elijah, in full authentic transparency and vulnerability, reverts Elisha's gauge not to himself, but to the creator who gave the spirit in the first place. Basically, if it is God's will for you to be used by him in a greater way than he did me, then God will make it happen. And Elijah knew the ministry had to go on. If Elijah had expected his ministry to end when his life on earth ended, it is possible that Elisha and in fact the 50 other company prophets wouldn't have even featured in this story. Would Elijah have expected his followers to just follow along and go through the motions the way he wanted to until he died? What would happen to them after he passed? Would they have to start a whole new ministry from scratch? Would they have become tired of following this prophet around without being included or encouraged, equipped and empowered along the way? Elijah was known for his powerful prophetic ministry, but I think what was most significant about him was that he was constantly preparing for his replacement. He had the ability to think beyond his own years of earthly existence into the legacy of ministry after he was no longer around. God was so important to him that he just dedicated not only his own earthly time, but all his efforts into the possibility that God's mission was alive and well many years beyond him. What is clear to me in the life of Elijah and then in, in turn Elisha is that they had both become faithful servants of God, committed to a close relationship with God and therefore everything flowed from that relationship. Their greatest desires became God-focused, a double-portioned desire, in fact, and their ministry spoke for itself because it was God-breathed. This story brings a whole lot of challenge to us today, doesn't it? Are we being faithful servants as children of God, 
as a church or as our global movement? Are we the type of faithful servants willing to pray daring prayers? And what are we even asking for? Do we know our God-given mission and ministry? Are we living it? And are we looking to the next generation to equip and empower? I'm going to be bold here and say that I am slightly fearful that we're missing the mark. I'm fearful because unlike Elijah, we don't have potentially 51 apprentices watching and hanging from our every move. Our next generations are barely listening anymore and I have to ask the question, are we modelling a Jesus-centred, spirit-filled, hope-revealed culture or are we clinging to our own personal legacy? God seeks to find men and women who will earnestly seek him, to lean in and to listen to his voice and to stand in the gap and pray. God wants us to let go of our own agendas, our own comfort zones and our own ticking clocks and he wants us to pray for healing over others, revival in our schools and young families and in our local communities. He wants us to be advocates for change but only when God calls for it. He wants people to pray like Elisha essentially did. Lord, I am weak. Will you empower me to serve? Will you give me special gifts to bless your people for generations to come? We should be asking for gifts of teaching and prophecy and encouragement and healing, not for our glory, but to better serve God, to understand his desires and to grow those same desires within us, not for our own sake, but for others. If we had to honestly look at our church right now and imagine what it will look like in 10 to 15 years, what would we see? We have to be willing to pray daring prayers, prayers that might lay our own personal self aside and build a desire within to see others come to Christ, to see change and to pray through it. We must also remember that following Christ means enlisting in his army, We are in a spiritual warfare for the lives of others and any progress into the enemy territory will be met with equal force. To have a faithful life means to be in warfare and at times it means to suffer. Being a faithful servant does not mean ease. In fact, it often means hardship and suffering. Elijah understood that his greatest gift to the nation would be to multiply himself by leaving behind a crop of young men who could carry on his work after he was gone. One man could only do so much, but one man who poured himself into dozens of younger men could start a movement that might one day ignite a revolution that could overthrow the enemy. This was the same thing that Christ did during his ministry. He focused on equipping the 12 to turn the world upside down after he left. Ministering to big crowds was important, but most important was ministering to the few faithful who would eventually minister to others. Certainly, as we consider Elijah mentoring the prophets and installing Elisha as the chief prophet, we must ask ourselves who our Elijahs and who our Elishas are. Who is pouring into us and who do we pour into? Who is pouring into us and who do we pour into? What is our generational rhythm looking like? Do we have one? What can we do to find this rhythm? Much like the new parent who can suddenly feel irrelevant 
irrelevant when everything is changing and the focus is all on the baby, we too can feel like we are no longer relevant in our church communities. But I want to challenge that today. I want to remind each of you that we are called by God to open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive a fresh pouring of the voice of God. We are also called by God to pour into and focus on our younger generations. This does not in any way render us irrelevant. Instead, it calls us to a greater significance, one that sees a God legacy, not a me legacy, carrying on for generations to come. How good would that be? Let me finish by reiterating the truth that God is a covenant God. God promises to be faithful. We can trust in a God who has each of our best interests at heart. This message is not about a God who only supplies for a limited time and then pushes us to the side. God is faithful to the end. We don't need to take it into our own hands to make sure we're remembered. We need to trust in our faithful covenant God and we need to honour him by leaning in and listening to his voice and participating in his mission. So as we listen to a song in a moment, this song will remind us of the covenant promise of God. I encourage you to reflect on your participation, not irrelevant, but integral, loved by a faithful God from beginning to end.